Hello, my rebels. I uh, have one very simple question about SNC-Lavalin. There's a lot of complicated questions, wouldn't you say? There's a lot of details and rules and intrigues and, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's, I guess you could even call it like a soap opera, but there's one very, very simple question that I get into today. I'll tell you what the question is. You'll have to listen to the show for my answer. The question is, why? Why? All right, before I let you get to the podcast, can you do me a favor? Can you go to the rebel.media slash shows? And can you sign up to be a premium subscriber? I'd appreciate it. It's eight bucks a month, and I know that's, you know, more than nothing. But it's not that much. And what it does is it helps us pay the bills here. We pay our staff, pay our rent, stuff like that. And what do you get for it, besides the moral satisfaction of keeping us going? You can see this in video format and the video shows of my colleagues, Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies. So please take a moment and do that. The rebel.media slash shows. And by the way, if you type in podcast as your coupon code, you can save a few bucks. But of course, the point is just to help us out. So I hope you will. All right. Without further ado, here's my show. Tonight, there are lots of complicated questions about Trudeau and SNC-Lavalin, but I have one very simple question I'd like to ask. It's April 4th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon I consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Another day, another front page story about Justin Trudeau's disastrous handling of the SNC-Lavalin scandal. As you know, a couple of days ago, he sacked his two top cabinet ministers who were women. I'm not talking about the comic relief of Mariam Monsef. So you were born in Afghanistan, correct? I believe I was. Uh, I'm not talking about the shrieking global warming cult leader. Who remembers last summer? Who remembers the extreme heat that we felt last summer? Who remembers the people literally died of extreme heat? Jeez. Now I'm talking about two professional women who had successful careers of accomplishment before they were recruited to run for office. I'm talking about Jane Philpott, a doctor, and Jody Wilson-Raybould, a lawyer and crown prosecutor. Look, this issue just isn't going away. In fact, it's drowning out most other things that Trudeau wants to talk about, like his new carbon tax. Now, I don't believe the carbon tax is a political winner for Trudeau, but he thinks it is. But no one's really talking about it other than the CBC state broadcaster, because they have to. Everyone else in the media is just watching this slow motion car crash of the SNC-Lavalin matter, which will turn two months old this week. So happy anniversary to it. The state broadcaster has run all sorts of attacks against Philpott and Wilson-Raybould, and none of them have worked. Today's attempt is this one. Wilson-Raybould set multiple conditions for ending the rift with Trudeau, say sources. Let me read a little more. Weeks of tense negotiations preceded the PM's highly controversial decision to eject two high-profile MPs. Really? What were those demands? Was it like cash? I don't know, maybe power or a promotion or something crass like that? <laughs> no, the opposite. Jody Wilson-Raybould just really wanted them to stop corrupting 
the process of criminal prosecutions and to get rid of those henchmen who were responsible for it. And all this was a confidential negotiation. She wasn't looking to make a fuss. She was looking to clean out the rot, get rid of the rotten apples before they rotted the whole barrel of apples. Let me read from this story. This is meant to be a smear. I found it quite vindicating. Over the course of the secret discussions, it emerged that Wilson Raybould had a list of at least five conditions that could help end the Civil War that has been tearing the government apart, multiple liberal sources say. The first three conditions involved staff changes at the very summit of the government. The sources said Wilson Raybould wanted Trudeau to fire his principal secretary, Gerald Butts, along with the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, and PMO senior advisor, Mathieu Bouchard. Now that rings true, as you know, Gerald Butts, in fact, did quit quite unexpectedly very soon after this story started spreading. And Michael Wernick quit, too. Now, I think he should have been fired, given his outrageously unprofessional and partisan remarks in Parliament that showed he was out of control and untrustworthy. But he did leave, too, which is very good. Mathieu Bouchard, he was one of the PMO staff who was pushing to let the corrupt SNC-Lavalin off the hook for their crimes. So, yeah, we've already got two out of those three gone. This is a good thing. Frankly, this is what anyone who actually wanted to fix the problem would recommend. It doesn't have to come from Jody Wilson-Raybould. Any wise old hand would say, you've got to get rid of these troublemakers. And look at the last two points she wanted. Wilson-Raybould's wishes went beyond a limited house cleaning in the PMO. Sources said she also sought assurances that her replacement as Attorney General, David Lametti, would not overrule Director of Public Prosecutions Kathleen Russell and direct her to give SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement. Wilson-Raybould also wanted Justin Trudeau to admit publicly or to caucus alone that his office acted inappropriately in its attempts to convince her to consider granting SNC-Lavalin a DPA. Again, this is a pretty modest request, and it's nothing for her benefit. It's for the country's benefit. It makes a lot of sense. Can you promise not to keep trying to interfere? How is that not good advice? In fact, how is that, uh, how is it that Trudeau hasn't made these decisions on these things on his own already? And that last point, that Trudeau would ad just admit that his office's course of action was wrong, even just in private to MPs. How is that not common sense? It's not even a personal apology. My office was wrong. I admit my office was wrong. I mean, unless Trudeau still thinks everything they did was fine, that's a pretty big question, isn't it? Does Justin Trudeau, after these two disastrous months, after the departure of his best friend and principal secretary, Gerald Butts, the departure of the clerk of the Privy Council and two top cabinet ministers, does, does he actually think that everything was okay and he did nothing wrong and none of his staff did nothing wrong? And, and doesn't that get right to the heart of it? If he won't agree to sack the staff who pushed his interference, and if he won't agree to promise not to do it anymore, then he probably wouldn't admit that his office was wrong, would he? If he thought he did nothing wrong. Now, I'm not sure how tenable that position would be. If nothing's wrong, why indeed did Wernick and Butts quit? And does that mean that maybe they'll be coming back now that the real trouble, Jody Wilson-Raybould herself, is gone? Let me show you a bizarre TV clip of Trudeau speaking to a group of young women who visited Parliament yesterday. Remember, almost 50 of these young women, when Trudeau spoke, as you can see here, they stood up and turned their backs on him. He was speaking. They stood up with their backs to him. It's sort of incredible, given how much he sold himself as a male feminist. 
I think he's destroyed that reputation these past two months. Uh, these young women are his core demographic. Uh, they all think he's just like a Gian Gameshi character now, a groper, which of course we know he is. Anyway, so the young women who didn't turn their backs on him, here's what he said. Now listen to this, it's so weird, listen. I know nobody in here wants to have to pick who to believe between Jody Wilson-Raybould and Christia Freeland. Nobody wants to know that one person has to be right and another person has to be wrong between between Jane Philpott uh, or Miriam Mosef. There are always going to be a range of perspectives that we need to listen to. First of all, he, he actually forgot Jane Philpott's name, which is, is weird. But look what he did. He reframed this whole crisis as just something within quarreling women. Jody Wilson-Raybould versus Christia Freeland? What? Jane Philpott versus Catherine McKenna? What? 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 So, so this whole problem these past two months hasn't been about him. He's not the problem here. The problem is between a couple of quarrelsome women, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Christia Freeland. It's between Philpott and McKenna. It's between some argue, arguing, gossipy women. He's, he's the calm father figure above it all. You know his role. He's the great giver. He gives to these women. His role is to give them a chance. He's their father figure. He's their, what, boyfriend? I don't know anyone else who would get that close to some of these women other than their marital spouse. I mean, why are you hugging? Why are you coming nose to nose with these women? It's so, look at that hug. What is with that? That's a chest to chest hug. What is that? Trudeau is playing a weird sociopathic political game here. He's gaslighting these women. You know what gaslighting means, right? He's changing the historical facts with a straight face, daring you, telling you not to believe your lying eyes. This wasn't about him trying to bully Jody Wilson-Raybould. What are you, crazy? It's about Jody Wilson-Raybould fighting with Christian Freeland. This isn't about him doing something that Jane Philpott disapproved. This is about Jane Philpott quitting. Well, not because of Trudeau's misconduct, it's because she was fighting with Catherine McKenna. Don't, don't you see that? What? It's so weird. He blames other women. He pits women in hypothetical battles. McKenna and Freeland had nothing to do with this. It's so weird what he did, so manipulative. But it, it served to exonerate himself psychologically so he doesn't have to take any responsibility for his screw-ups. It makes sense in a way. It's like what he said about the woman he groped in Creston, B.C., Rose Knight. Like I said, uh, I do not feel that I acted inappropriately uh, in any way. Uh, but I respect uh, the fact that someone else might have experienced that differently. That's exactly what he did in this case, too, wasn't it? Each of these interactions was a conversation among colleagues about how to tackle a challenging issue. Each came at a time when my staff and I believed that the former Minister of Justice and Attorney General was open to considering other aspects of the public interest. However, I now understand that she saw it differently. So he's just saying the girls are lying. They're the problem. He did nothing wrong. You know, Justin Trudeau makes a public apology about once a month. 
usually with tears in his eyes, usually involving giving away our tax dollars to someone. He gave $10 million to Omar Khadr with a public apology. He's always apologizing, but, but always for something that someone else did. You notice that? He never apologizes what he did. In fact, by apologizing for what other people did, it's his oblique way of saying, I'm better than them. I think Trudeau psychologically refuses to apologize for himself because, like a sociopath, he finds a way to blame everything on everyone else. He's never wrong, so why would he apologize? That's why he did that weird Freeland and McKenna thing, and, and that's why he wouldn't admit, even in the privacy of caucus, that his office was wrong. That's why he won't rule out still doing this SNC-Lavalin deal, because he's morally incapable of admitting he's ever wrong. I think he lies to himself as much as he lies to us. Oh, quick clip from question period yesterday that, that shows this. Did you catch this? Take a look. The Attorney General reports that she looked the Prime Minister and the eye and said, are you interfering with my role as Attorney General? Because I strongly advise against it. Does the Prime Minister remember her saying any such thing? Honorable Prime Minister. Once she said that, I responded, no, I am not. It is her decision to make. And she then committed to uh, revisit and look into the decision once again, Mr. Speaker. All these are elements in the testimony that we have heard, that the Justice Committee examined exhaustively. But once again, we see the member opposite is desperate to talk about anything other than our budget, anything other than the economic growth we're putting forward, anything other than our concrete plan to fight climate change, because they have no plan on any of that. See, the trouble with lying is it's hard to keep uh, a lie straight in your memory. It's easy to remember the truth. Just remember, just say what you remember. But when you tell a lie, you can forget. So Trudeau accidentally admitted that Jody Wilson-Raybould did, in fact, object to his interference with the file. Funny, because he said something different when he was first asked about it. Remember this? In regards to the matter of SNC-Lavalin, let me be direct. The government of Canada did its job and to the clear public standards expected of it. If anyone felt differently, they had an obligation to raise that with me. No one, including Jody, did that. What a pathological liar. No wonder Jody Wilson-Raybould is so insistent that he acknowledge his office was wrong. Because he still doesn't. He can't. He won't. It's not in his blood. And he will sink his whole career over this if he has to. Holy moly, that is a lot of pride and arrogance. I think that's the most likely explanation for why Trudeau has let this small problem turn into a big problem that's in fact devouring his entire government. And that is, uh, has him so far behind in the polls, he would lose an election today. But there is perhaps one other reason. And it's that he really, really needs this SNC-Lavalin matter to go away because if it actually goes to trial and if actual facts come out, um, perhaps it will become an extinction-level event, like a comet hitting the dinosaurs for him and his party by revealing something that we don't yet know about that might be lurking. This is pure speculation on my part, but look at this breaking news. Federal Crown Corporation investigating claim it backed SNC-Lavalin on corrupt 
Angola Dam contract. That's weird. This is just from yesterday. This news came out yesterday. Let me read a bit. Export Development Canada is reviewing its decision to provide up to half a billion dollars worth of insurance in 2011 for an SNC-Lavalin contract in Angola. After learning of an allegation, the company may have won the bid with help from bribes. The Crown Corporation, which acts as a credit agency for Canadian firms looking to do business abroad, says it could widen its investigation to scrutinize other deals it struck over the years with the construction and engineering firm, likely worth several billion dollars combined. Oh, bribes, more bribes. These are other bribes on top of the bribes they're being prosecuted for in the case we've been following, the bribes in Libya. And then of course there's the bribes to get the Montreal Hospital contract. Those bribes, and don't confuse those with the bribes to get the bridge. There's so many different bribes. You have to keep all straight. You need an Excel spreadsheet. There's lots of bribing going on almost all the time, it seems. Hey, what do you think the chances are that if this current case about the Libyan bribes went to trial, whew, that maybe some facts might come out about a bribe that we don't actually know about yet, hasn't been aired yet, hasn't been revealed yet? Not necessarily a bribe for Trudeau, hmm. maybe someone close to him, maybe a senator, maybe an MP, maybe for a friend, maybe for the Liberal Party itself. We don't know. A few years back, just about every senior Liberal Party politician in, in Quebec at a certain level was charged with corruption. Mayor after mayor, so many politicians. Quebec liberals are corrupt. We, we, we've all known that forever. Ad scam reminded us of that. Of, uh, of that. Do, you, do you think that maybe that's behind this intransigence by Trudeau? It's been a terrible two months for him, but he still has a chance to win, a chance. If it turns out his liberal party took millions in bribes though, or some other extreme fact that we don't know about now, but that seems to be how SNC-Lavalin operates, would you agree? Well, then his chances of winning would go to zero. And some of his friends might even go to jail. Who knows, maybe even him, I don't know. It's all speculation on my part. I have no idea what details of corruption would emerge in a trial about corruption by a corrupt company. How <laughs> would I know? But look at this, this is weird. Don't you think the chairman of SNC-Lavalin is Kevin Lynch? Did you know he used to be the clerk of the Privy Council in Ottawa? Did you know that? Isn't that funny? That's a coincidence. And, and you know this guy, Jacques Bougie? Bougie? He's a director of SNC-Lavalin. This is from their website. Oh, and would you look at that? Here he is on the Trudeau Foundation. What are the odds? And you know the lawyer working for SNC-Lavalin on this whole, you know, DPA thing? He just happens to be Frank Iacobucci, a former Supreme Court of Canada judge. Oh, who also works now for Justin Trudeau on the Trans Mountain Pipeline project. So yeah, those are just connections we know about. I wonder what we don't know about and that we'd find out about at a criminal trial of corruption. Again, this is all speculation on my part. As far as I know, they're all clean as a whistle. I still think Trudeau won't fix this problem because the reason is he's too stubborn to admit there's a problem other than the quarrel between some women. It's nothing to do with him. I think it's high self-regard that has caused this problem to continue. I mean, why didn't he accept the thoughtful recommendations of Jody Wilson-Raybould to settle this and put this away? That was actually really good legal advice that she gave him those five conditions. But maybe, just maybe, Justin Trudeau or those around him know that there is a lot 
worse to come, much, much, much worse to come if this criminal prosecution actually goes to trial. And that maybe, maybe any other price that he has to pay, any other humiliation is less painful than the full truth coming out in a trial. Hey, what do you think? Stay with us for more. Remember back in January when a group of high school students from Covington Catholic High School in Kentucky went to Washington, D.C. for a political field trip. They were there for the annual uh, pro-life march, and as they were waiting at the Lincoln Memorial for their buses home, they were accosted by different radical groups. A group of radical black activists who started swearing at them and shouting racial epithets, and then one aboriginal protester who famously walked right up to the face of one of the teenagers banging a drum. And that young man stood very quiet, smiling and not saying a word. Well, the media saw that young man's red Make America Great Again hat, and they had the story they wanted. This was a racist teenager who had trapped the Aboriginal man and insulted him racially. That's what the entire media said. CNN, Washington Post, the whole media jumped on that kid and demonized him. And soon his own school threw him under the bus, metaphorically. The school and the local bishop denouncing that young man, Nicholas Sandman, and his entire class. It took days for the truth to get its boots laced up and for fuller video to be seen showing that, in fact, Nicholas Sandman and his classmates conducted themselves perfectly. It was the black and aboriginal activists that were the ones doing the racial epithets, and no, Nicholas Sandman did not swarm or surround that aboriginal man. There's a lesson there about not bowing into the media mob and not allowing leftists online to demonize you. But the reason I tell you all this is because I don't think that lesson has been learned here in Toronto, and this time we're talking not about a Catholic school, but a Jewish school. A trip to Washington, nonetheless, a trip to a pro-Israel advocacy event, a conference called APAC, where students from a Jewish high school called CHAT, Community Hebrew Academy of Toronto, went down to Washington and they met with a pro-Israel activist that you might know, he's a former rebel contributor, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Well, they met with Dr. Gorka, and he gave them a big pro-Israel pep talk. Here's an excerpt from that meeting that was recorded. Take a listen to this. I, I, I was very clear in my mind. You know what? I don't have scars on my wrists from where they hanged me from the ceiling of the torture chamber. So bring it. Bring it because it's just words. So my message to you, and it's, it's, it's not a cop-out, because I've lived it and I have the right to say it. Never, ever give up and never let them get away with it. Six million murdered. We will never let that happen again. And it is up to you to stand up for the truth. There is only one truth, 
And every time you say, oh, I'm not going to risk my grades, or I don't want to get kicked out of the cool kids club at school, so I'm going to just not comment when they say BDS is cool. Every time we do that, they win. Every time they do that, a soul cries out saying, will you not stand for my memory? That's just a short excerpt from a one-hour presentation that Dr. Gorka made to these kids. Very emotional, very passionate, talking about his own father's physical torture at the hands of authoritarians and how Gorka himself is now a pro-Israel activist. Can you imagine that such a positive meeting encouraging these kids was turned into, I know it's hard to believe, a claim of anti-Semitism or even Nazism. Well, that's exactly what happened. Left-wing extremists online, just as they had done to the Covington Catholic kids, said that Dr. Gorka was anti-Semitic in some way, even though he was giving a pro-Israel talk at a pro-Israel conference to pro-Israel Jewish kids. And before long, just like Covington Catholic did in Kentucky, that school in Toronto, through their own teacher and students to the wolves, sending out a letter to their entire community, including their alumni, denouncing the visit, saying if only they had known, they would never have approved it, and saying that a teacher who attended the meeting, Aviva Polonsky, inappropriately tweeted pictures and praise of Dr. Gorka. You can see her tweet here, honored to finally meet the great Seb Gorka, the former deputy assistant to Donald Trump and expert on counterterrorism. And you can see how pleased they all were. I should point out that in addition to this teacher, Aviva Polonsky, a vice principal of the school also attended. That's a picture of him right there. But nonetheless, the school bowed down to the internet leftists and denounced their own people. Well, I didn't mention it on my show last week, but in a video on YouTube, we set up a petition called StandWithAviva.com, Aviva being the teacher who was blamed by the school. Joining us now via Skype from Vancouver is an alumnus of CHAT who agrees that the school should not have thrown the teacher and the students to the wolves. Noah Alter, great to meet you. Um, you've actually put together a petition of your own in support of the teacher, Aviva Polonsky. What, what motivated you to do so? Well, I uh, saw the manufactured outrage and I knew that Sebastian Gorka is not a Nazi, not an anti-Semite. Everything he's done in the past, everything we've seen from him, everything he's produced shows very clearly that he's vehemently pro-Israel, vehemently pro-Jewish. Uh, I think the the allegations are outrageous. They're based on vague associations he had back when he was in Hungary. And from the, my perspective, it seems, you know, Hungary is a somewhat anti-Semitic country. It might be hard to get around politics without meeting anti-Semitic people. But everything Gorka has said is pro-Jewish, pro-Israel. He's very clearly not a Nazi sympathizer. Um, what irritated me the most was not that false accusations would be made about Gorka. I mean, that's life when you're the former deputy assistant of the president. Um, but that the school would cave so quickly and would blame the teacher, Aviva, 
and pretend they had no knowledge of this event, sort of push it off on her, when in fact they approved this event to begin with and a vice principal attended it. That's what shocked me. It didn't shock me that Gorka is a target. It didn't shock me that a bunch of online leftists tried to bully the school. What shocked me is that the school caved in so quickly. This is very odd behavior for the school. The school uh, usually is very proud to display views from across the political spectrum, but I think this might be a symbol of the times we're in and that the school is so willing to give in to pressure. Yeah, you know, um, the, the Covington Catholic school kids, who I think were world famous, I can understand how the school got it wrong because it, they were literally standing outside at a memorial and the first reports that came in were by supposedly reputable news or agencies like the Washington Post. So the school in that case got the lies first and it took a while for the truth to get out. But in this case, the school knew everything in advance and at the time, like I say, the teacher was there, the vice principal was there, the kids looked thrilled. So it's not like they had a chance to be misinformed by the fake news media, which is what happened in Covington. That's what I don't get. I don't, I'm, I am still angry at the Covington Catholic School for uh, being so quick to judge their own kids, but at least they have the excuse that the Washington Post lied about the facts. In this case, it was just some Twitter trolls on the left who weren't even lying about what happened. They're just sort of really, really mad that it happened. I, I just, I'm boggled by it. Do you think... Do you think that the school regrets overreacting or do you think they, they actually mean what they said in that bizarre smear letter that they sent around? Um, well, the school's apology didn't seem overly sincere. It seemed more like they were just trying to get out some sort of apology and be done with it. I think a lot of it was just trying to avoid controversy and they may have not realized that that would actually contribute to more. And also, I think a lot of it was that there was no real voice in support of Polanski when they sent out that letter. The only people who I heard really talking about it outside of the CJN, which was reporting pretty unbiasedly on it, was uh, we saw IJV, or Independent Jewish Voices, make a bunch of Facebook posts, uh, a few tweets, and an alumni letter from largely left-wing students, or former students who no longer go there and you know, we're not present on this trip. And in fact, you know, I, in, in the uh, letter that I wrote, I made it also only for alumni, but in fact, a number of students who are currently students of Ms. Polonsky, including students who were on that trip, asked me if they could sign the letter. Hmm. Um, one of the things that I think made the Covington Catholic School uh, do the right thing when they exhausted all other options first was that the family of Nicholas Salmon, I don't know how he did it, I don't know who helped him, but they teamed up with a PR firm, and then later with one of the most powerful lawyers in the United States, they put together a definitive, authoritative video showing the truth of what happened. I mean, it's very persuasive, you could find it online. But more importantly, they slapped these, these media outfits with warnings, and then when they didn't correct, they sued the Washington Post for $250 million. And I know here in Canada, we'd say, well, that sounds like a joke lawsuit. Well, the lawyer who did it is a serious heavy hitter uh, attorney who has done these sorts of suits in the past. I think it is a deadly serious lawsuit. Um, 
No one here in Toronto has lawyered up, and the teacher herself, Aviva Polanski, um, maybe she's afraid to take on the school for being fired or something. Do you think that uh, a lawyer sending off some missives would uh, splash some cold water in the face of this uh, uh, Dr. Jonathan Levy, who signed the smear letter of her to begin with? Um, I don't necessarily think that lawyering up. See, with internal Jewish community issues, a lot of the time, I think what's really worrisome is if this kind of these uh, the issues within the community kind of spill out to uh, the general population because these are very much internal issues that we can deal with internally. Uh, I think a bigger issue would be calling to the fact that the original letter. Uh, written by a group of left-wing alumni, the open letter that they wrote was entirely to do with uh, trying to basically self-promotion at the end of the day. It was written by a member of the Liberal Party who probably wanted to get some brownie points with his Liberal Party friends, and that came at the expense of, you know, slandering the school and the teacher and Mr. Gorka. And, but that doesn't really matter at the end of the day because it was political opportunism is what it looks like to me. Yeah. So I don't think it's worth lawyering, lawyering up quite yet over this issue because it seems pretty internal. But I think it's more important that we reinforce it within our community uh, not to bring these issues externally and try to solve them among ourselves without, you know, get, delivering horrible slanders to people who, you know, our fellow Zionists felt and fellow Jews, people who are a part of our community. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing, Dr. Gorka, who was a great ally of Jews and Israel to be smeared this way and to be abandoned by the school, um, that's a pretty rough way to treat a friend. I will say that, I mean, I'm a Jew and I live in Toronto, so I have a, re- a religious and approximate uh, geographic connection to the school. But I felt just the same connection to Nicholas Sandman of Covington Catholic in Kentucky. And I'm not Catholic and I'm not from Kentucky because I, th- I saw it as a grave and unfairness. And really one of the poisons of social media is it this Twitter mob that can get this Facebook mob that can get whipped up to smash and destroy someone's reputation just because some activists want it. Well, listen, uh, Noah, congratulations on you doing a counter petition. Let me ask you, uh, finally, have you received any reply to your petition? I, I see you have a number of names on it, people who graduated in different years. It's a very thoughtful letter. Uh, did you get a letter back from Dr. Levy or anyone else at the school? No, no I, sent the direct, I sent the letter directly to him, actually, but uh, I never received any reply. Yeah, somehow I'm not surprised by that. Well, we'll drop off our petition as well. Last I checked, I had over 3,000 petitions. I haven't looked, uh, signatures I haven't looked in a few days. It's probably over 4,000 now. Uh, listen, thanks, and thanks for standing up to be counted. And you told me just before we turned the camera on that you're with the Free Speech Society out there in, in Vancouver. Yeah, so congratulations on that. I'm sorry, yeah, what were you saying? Yeah, so I think part of what motivated me in uh, this situation was it was attack. It's an attack on free speech, too. You know, uh, students have a right to be exposed to a multitude of different viewpoints and they shouldn't have to be harassed by a bunch of university students and a left wing Twitter mob just because they choose to explore multiple angles of the political spectrum. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks so much for taking the time and thanks for fighting back. It's great to see. 
Thank you, Ezra. All right, there you have it. That's Noah Alter, who joins us from Vancouver via Skype. He's an alumnus of CHAT, and the only thing I would disagree with him on is that I don't think this is a matter of internal community politics for the Jewish school. I think this goes to a larger problem in our society that anyone who takes a conservative point of view, a pro-Trump point of view, a pro-Israel point of view, is hounded and deplatformed in the Twitter mob. And I think just as I believed it was my place to care about those Covington Catholic kids, I think it's everyone's place to care about what happened here, even if you're not Jewish. And even if you don't really care about Israel, the kind of censorship we saw there was just awful. That's my view. If you want to sign our petition, go to standwithaviva.com. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back to my monologue yesterday about Justin Trudeau kicking Jody Wilson-Raybould and Dr. Jane Philpott out of the Liberal Party. Ron writes, this story is exciting and there's a long way to go. It is exciting. I mean, it's also terrible if you look at the substance of it, what it means for our country. But what's exciting to me is that you've got a woman of character. And I, listen, do I have to say for the 10th time, I disagree with her ideologically, but that doesn't mean she's not an honest woman. I would trust her. I would buy a used car from her. I would lend her money. I would trust her to babysit my kids. I'm just trying to come up with examples of when you really need to trust a real person in a real way, right? I would absolutely trust her. Wouldn't you? Because here's someone who gave up everything on a point of moral principle. I have to say that's extremely rare in life, and it's as rare as a unicorn in politics, wouldn't you say it? I know she's left-wing, of course she is, but can you not put that aside and say, here's a woman of character, so, so rare. Yes, I'm blown away. No, I don't want her to join the Conservative Party. She's not a conservative. But just the character of this woman to stand up on a point of principle and what I showed you today, the five demands she made at Justin Trudeau, those weren't even demands. Those are five ways for him to stop his ship from leaking. What a fool not to take them. Yes, it is exciting. And it's exciting that the woman who holds him to account is her. Huh. Monica writes, every woman should turn their back on Trudeau when he talks. Yeah, but be careful. Turn your back on him, but careful he doesn't grope you. That's what the New York Times said he did when um, Rose Knight turned her back on him. Mark writes, the CBC said that the caucus just generally agreed that they should kick the woman out. They did not mention there were legal procedures to follow. We would not know about Section 49.2 if we relied on the CBC for our news. Oh, yeah, you know what? I saw a CBC journalist named Aaron Wary actually on Twitter correcting journalists who made the point that you and I just made. Literally like a spin doctor for the liberal war room. It's so gross. Watching the CBC is awful. They get worse every year. But their conduct in the last two, three weeks here, as the Liberal Party decided to get tough with Jody Wilson-Raybould, they've gone, there's no dividing line between the CBC newsroom and the Liberal Party war room. It's all the same. And I think it looks really, really bad on them. Well, folks, that's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.